0: Section 30 of Insurgent Mexico. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daniel Fraser. Insurgent Mexico by John Reed. Part 4. A People in Arms. Chapter 6. The compañeros reappear. Such had been the surprise of the Federals, and they had fled in such a hurry, that for many miles the railroad was intact. But toward afternoon we began to find little bridges burned and still smoking, and telegraph poles cut down with an axe, badly and hastily done bits of destruction that were easily repaired. But the army had got far ahead and by nightfall, about eight miles from Gomez Palacio, we reached the place where eight solid miles of torn-up track began. There was no food on our train. We had only a blanket apiece, and it was cold. In the flare of torches and fires, the repair gang fell upon their work. Shouts and hammering steel, and the thud of falling ties. It was a black night with a few dim stars. We had settled down around one fire, Talking and drowsing, When suddenly a new sound smote the air, A sound heavier than hammers, And deeper than the wind. It shocked and was still. Then came a steady roll, As of distant drums, And then shock, shock. The hammers fell, Voices were silent, We were frozen. Somewhere ahead, out of sight, in the darkness. So still it was that the air carried every sound. Beer and the army had flung themselves upon Gomez Palacio, and the battle had begun. It deepened steadily and slowly, until the boofs of cannon fell echoing upon each other, and the rifle fire rippled like steel rain. Andalay screamed a hoarse voice from the roof of the cannon-car. "'What are you doing? Get at that track!' Pancho Beer is waiting for the trains. And, with a yell, four hundred raging maniacs flung themselves upon the brake. I remember how we besought the colonel in command to let us go to the front. He would not. Orders were strict that no one should leave the trains. We pled with him, offered him money, almost got on our knees to him. Finally he relented a little. At three o'clock, he said, I'll give you the sign and countersign and let you go. We curled miserably about a little fire of our own, trying to sleep, trying at least to get warm. Around us and ahead, the flares and the men danced along the ruined track, and every hour or so, the train would creep forward a hundred feet and stop again. It was not hard to repair, the rails were intact. A wrecker had been hitched to the right-hand rail, and the ties twisted, splintered, torn from their bed. Always the monotonous and disturbing furious sound of battle filtered out of the blackness ahead. It was so tiresome, so much the same, that sound, and yet I could not sleep. About midnight, one of our outposts galloped from the rear of the trains to report that a large body of horsemen had been challenged coming from the north, who said they were Urbina's gente from Mapimi. The colonel didn't know of any body of troops that were to pass at that time of night. In a minute, everything was a fury of preparation. Twenty-five armed and mounted men galloped like mad to the rear, with orders to stop the newcomers for fifteen minutes. If they were constitutionalists, by order of the colonel. If not, by holding them off as long as possible. The workmen were hurried back to the train and given their rifles. The fires were put out, the flares, all but ten, extinguished. Our guard of two hundred slipped silently into the thick brush, loading their rifles as they went. On either side of the track, the colonel and five of his men took up their posts unarmed, with torches held high over their heads, and then, out of the blackness, the head of the column appeared it was made up of different men from the well-clothed well-equipped well-fed soldiers of beer's army these were ragged gaunt people wrapped in faded tattered serapes without shoes on their feet crowned with the heavy picturesque sombreros of the back country lasso ropes hung coiled at their saddles Their mounts were the lean, hard, half-savage ponies of the Durango Mountains. They rode sullenly, contemptuous of us. They neither knew the countersign, nor cared to know it. And as they rode, whole files sang the monotonous, extemporaneous ballads that the peons composed and sang to themselves, as they guard the cattle at night on the great upland plains of the north. And suddenly, as I stood at the head of the line of flares, A passing horse was jerked to his haunches, and a voice I knew cried, Hey, mister! The enfolding serapé was cast high in the air. The man fell from his horse, and in a moment I was clasped in the arms of Isidro Amaya. Behind him burst forth a chorus of shouts, Que tal, mister? Oh, Juanito, how glad we are to see you. Where have you been? They said you were killed in La Cadena. Did you run fast from the colorados? Mucha susto, eh? They threw themselves to the ground, clustering around, fifty men reaching at once to pat me on the back. All my dearest friends in Mexico, the compañeros of La Tropa and La Cadena. The long file of men, blocked in the darkness, raised a chorus of shouts. Move on, vámonos, what's the matter, hurry up, We can't stay here all night. And the others yelled back, Here's Meester. Here's the gringo we were telling you about, who danced the hota in La Thaca, who was in La Cadena. And then the others crowded forward too. There were twelve hundred of them. Silently, sullenly, eagerly, sniffing the battle ahead, they defiled between the double line of high-held torches. And every tenth man I had known before. As they passed, the colonel shouted to them, "'What is the countersign? Turn your hats up in front. Do you know the countersign?' Hoarsely, exasperatedly, he bawled at them. Serenely and insolently, they rode by, without paying the least attention to him. "'To hell with the countersign,' they hooted, laughing at him. "'We don't need any countersign. They'll know well enough which side we're on when we begin to fight.' For hours, it seemed, they jogged past, fading into the darkness. Their horses, with nervous heads, turned to catch the sound of the guns. The men, with glowing eyes fixed on the darkness ahead, rode into battle with their ancient Springfield rifles that had seen service for three years, with their meagre ten rounds of ammunition. And when they had all gone, the battle seemed to brighten and quicken with new life. End of section 30. Recording by Daniel Fraser.